0: Today, I uh, just uh, I got back from my vacation late last night, actually. And so I'm still on East Coast time, which means I'm almost ready for lunch. <laughs> no. But um, I, uh, when I got back early this morning, I woke up to review my, my, my sermon that I wrote last week. And then I wanted to watch um, the sermon that Pastor Jeff preached, of course, last week. And, um, and I got to tell you, Jeff, you did a, a great job. And um, I'm grateful for the message that you brought because I can I feel like I could use what you shared last Sunday kind of as a launch to to what I'm going to share about today. I want to share a part of my, you know, just a small part of my my uh, my little trip, my vacation. Um, And Jeff, I loved what you talked about competition, you know, at the very beginning of the race and everything uh, with Lauren and uh, on, my, on my trip, um, there was a competition that Rochelle and I entered into as well. I'm not a very competitive I'm like Jeff. If people do well, I celebrate them. I, I'm not about always winning or anything like that. <laughs> it's true. Ask my wife. And, um, <laughs> and so we, 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 uh, one of my, my hobbies, it's not, I don't know if it reaches a passion, but I really enjoy fishing. I enjoy catching so much more than I enjoy fishing. And so while we were on vacation, um, I said, Rochelle, what, would you like to go on a deep-sea fishing trip with me? You know, we're in Florida. And she's like, okay. She was kind of reluctant. And so, but she said, yes. So we booked a, you know, four-hour fishing charter down, you know. And, and they said, you know, there's a pool that's happening. And so there's a competition. And at the end of the pool, the person with the largest fish wins the pool. And so here is the picture of who caught the largest fish. That is a 25-pound cobia. It was delicious. And I'm holding, you can't even see it, but a three-ounce giant grouper baby. And what I really appreciated about Jeff's message was towards the end, he talked about being married and how the two become one. <laughs> so that's our fish, Rochelle. <laughs> anyway, thanks Jeff for giving me that opportunity to uh, to just uh, share that funny story and share the picture of us uh, out fishing. So today we are finishing up. Philippians chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading at verse 15. And here, the Apostle Paul concludes this chapter beautifully as he writes this, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example. Isn't that beautiful? Paul says that. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. And so here, in beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul calls the church in Philippi to live up to what they have already attained. And so Paul is just saying, review with me in this letter that I'm writing you all of the things that, that I have been repeating over and over and over again with you about what's important here. So to the church in Philippi, there are some things that are important. First of all, is this message of joy. This is the epistle of joy. We've talked about that again and again and again. And that beautiful cliche, which I find to be so true, to make Jesus first, others, and then you, which is the acronym of joy. And, and, and how simple that is, and yet how profound, that when you live that way, joy truly does come to you. When you mix those letters around, I tell you, I've, I've done that. And uh, and it's a great way to lose your joy. The other part that Paul consistently talks about in this epistle is living the gospel culture. And I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. And and how that is such an important thing thing, to be tethered to the gospel and not let anything but the word of God lead you forward. And then following Philippians chapter 2 and right here into the end of chapter 3, Paul says... That the, the the example of Christ should be tantamount in our lives. That that we ought to live as Christ-like disciples. In fact, in, in, the, um, in, in verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi to grow into. And this is what I, I think Paul is talking about here for the people in the church to be more and more like Jesus every single day. kind of reminds me of when when Jesus actually called his disciples to him. If you go back to Matthew chapter 9, we find the beautiful story of Jesus calling Matthew. And in his calling of Matthew, he said two simple words, follow me. Right? That's it. He said, follow me. And then it says Matthew got up and left everything behind and followed Jesus. And that's simple discipleship. Just simply following Jesus. Easier said than done. Amen, church? Amen. Because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he says to follow my teachings. What I am saying to you. What I am teaching you. And then to follow my example. Not just what I teach you, but how I live my life, and that means how I have surrendered all. And what a beautiful example Jesus leaves to his disciples, and then to us. And the calling of the disciples um, that that uh, in in Matthew chapter nine. He called his disciples to do all the things that he first did. He never asks the disciples to do anything that he himself doesn't do first. And I've said this again and again in in my sermons in the past of how Jesus whenever he calls his disciples to do things, it's because he's done it first, right? Even the the most humbling and humiliating things like washing others' feet, he does first. And to these gigantic things that we seem it seems so impossible for us to do like like surrendering it all and dying to yourself. Jesus calls us to that life, but he doesn't do it by pointing the finger and saying, you guys, go ahead and do it. He shows us the way. That's why, as we sang today, Kelly, we sang that he is the way and the truth and the life. Thank you. I think that's a divine moment that uh, Kelly picked that song to be a part Of this message that she truly is the way and for that we we celebrate and I love 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 that the Apostle Paul he does the same thing with the people he's discipling here in the church in Philippi Jesus spoke to his disciples and now the Apostle Paul takes the example of Jesus and he invites the his own disciples in the church to follow him in verse 17, he says, Join together in following my example. That's what Paul says. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he tells the church there, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so, here we are. He says, Follow me, Paul says to the church in Philippi. Because I am following Jesus. You, you, you don't see Jesus here anymore but you can follow my example. And he says, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And so when Paul says to the church to follow his example, the first thing that people often think of, the first thing that we go to, this is what I thought at first, right? Follow my example, because you know what? I'm pretty good, Paul says. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm... A, I'm the person that you should follow. But listen here. When you take a good look at what Paul is saying in context and what he's saying here in chapter 3, he is not saying that he's perfect. He is not saying that he's got it all together. And you know what? Because I've got it all together, do as I do. You, you remember um, the Three Stooges? Anybody remember the Three Stooges? Yeah? All, <laughs> I'm, I'm showing, my, 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 showing my age here. I remember the sketch that the Three Stooges did one time. They, they had to find somebody at this mansion, and so they knock on the door, and then, of course, the butler of the mansion comes to the door and says, hey, we're here to see so-and-so. And the butler says, what does the butler say? He says, uh, walk this way. And then when he says, walk this way, the butler has a terrible limp, right? He's... <laughs> and so the Three Stooges, they go... Walk this way. So they all walk the same way. <laughs> right? They follow the same example. And I don't think that's what exactly Paul is saying here, but it's a pretty decent example because as the same way the butler didn't walk well, the Apostle Paul has his own issues. He has his own flaws. And what I love so much about the Apostle Paul is that he recognizes that in himself. And when he says, follow my example, it's not saying to us or to the church, be perfect like me, far from it. You know what he says, as Pastor Jeff preached last Sunday? He says, I'm not there yet. I'm still on the journey. We're working towards that goal. He says and. In in verse verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or yet have arrived at my my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I love that example of that linebacker that he spoke about last Sunday. The Apostle Paul is not there yet. He's pressing on to the goal. And what is the goal? Jesus is the goal. To be more like him every single day. And so what the Apostle Paul says is, follow my example in one thing. Not perfection. Far be it from that. Follow my example as I do my best to pursue Christ. And to be more like him every day. I fall short. I haven't obtained that yet. But One day I will. And he writes about that in Timothy, right? He tells Timothy, I finished the race. But here, he says, I don't have it all together, but I'm working on it. And if we're going to follow the example of anybody, it should be somebody that is still working on it. That is honest enough to say that I don't have it all together, but I'm still working on it. And that's what Paul is calling the church to do, to be more like Jesus every single day. We don't have it all together. But we've got to work on that one thing, and that is to pursue Christ. And you say, Pastor, is that all we got to do, just one thing? Pursue Christ, be more like Jesus every day? I mean, don't we have a mission statement on our, on our mug? to authentically love God, humbly serve one another, and intentionally share Christ? Shouldn't we be doing those things also? Of course we should. But when you do those things, that helps us in journeying to be more and more like Jesus every day as well. And now at this point in chapter 3, Paul kind of does a slight transition. He turns his gaze just a little bit in, in what he writes, and and his focus is not just on the church, but his focus turns outside of the church. As we read from the next passage in verse 18, if you can think of an example from Jesus' ministry, as I read this next portion of scripture, in verse 18, Paul says, "For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears." Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. He, he transitions from talking to the people in the church. And now he kind of gazes outside the church. And he points out there. And, and he contrasts the culture of the kingdom and the culture of the world. And it may seem like the Apostle Paul is is kind of being a little judgmental here. Right? He's pointing at the world. He's saying, the people out there, their destination is destruction. I mean, you know, they're enemies of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And if you think that That's being critical of the world. Very often, the same criticism is placed on the church, on us right here, of being critical, and at times we have been. Right here. It's easy to be critical of others, right? Because our eyes are focused out that way, and then in turn, people are critical of us too. It's easy to be judgmental. But what I see here is something totally different. And I would love for you to join me in looking deeply at this passage. The Apostle Paul shares what he shares with this beautiful caveat in this passage. In verse 18, he says, For I have often told you before and I tell you again. And he says this, even with tears. When, when you have tears in your eyes, for the reason what Paul is writing here, it's not because of judgment. And it's not for criticism's sake. But it's because of deep love and compassion. The Greek word for tears here is Clio. And the word Clio means to weep with grief, as if mourning for the dead. You know, as a pastor, I have been in the hospital room at the point of death with families in my life as a pastor for over 20 years. I remember being with families and while I'm there, the doctor or the nurse would walk in and say, I'm sorry, but your loved one has passed away. And and I watched families Mourn and weep, and I have mourned and wept with them. I oh, I have wept tears of Kalio, with many families. But it wasn't till my own dad passed away, that I feel what Kalio really means when you mourn the passing of someone you love, and that is real. It's still with me today, as you often feel when you mourn and grieve the passing of someone you love. This is how the Apostle Paul shares this word with us. It is with this grief, this mourning, this pain on the inside of my heart that many live as enemies of the cross. And their destiny is destruction. And their God is their stomach, and the glory is in their shame. Oh, he's burdened by that. He's not folding his arms and going, complaining. That's the heart of the Apostle Paul as he shares this. That's my heart. That ought to be the heart of our church. The Apostle Paul shares this with tears, weeping, and grieving, and sobbing. Because many people that he knows and he loves have become enemies of the cross. Ooh. We know them. Don't you? And we love them, they are our neighbors. There are family. Heck, there are children, and we don't look upon them with judgment. We look upon them with love and compassion, and at times we cry, we weep and mourn over their direction in life. It reminds me of when Jesus wept. When Jesus had compassion as he looked out on people in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36. We hear these words from the gospel when Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and hopeless and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When you are not walking with Jesus, your shepherd is gone. That is a terrible place to be. Jesus had compassion for those who had no hope, for those who stopped running the race, for those who have turned away from the cross and now live as enemies of it. In much the same way, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the very last time. We celebrated Palm Sunday a couple months ago. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he climbed over it. He mourned. He wept. He grieved. Oh, because as he looked down there even though he knew at first they would yell Hosanna in the end they would all be shouting crucify Jesus and the Apostle Paul's heart were united in love and compassion weeping over those who they love who have become enemies of the cross and so church In the same way the Apostle Paul is journeying towards becoming more and more like Jesus. In the same way that he invites those who are in Philippi to follow his example. To be more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul invites the church in Philippi and he invites us today. He invites us and he extends the invitation to follow his example and to mourn and weep and grieve for those who don't know Jesus, for those that we know and that we love, our neighbors, our family, even our children who have walked away from the gospel, from the cross. Church, my hope and my prayer is that as we've gone through this epistle here in Philippi that you can catch a hold of what the Apostle Paul is writing here and in and, and doing so as he says to follow his example that we can get a glimpse of, of what it means to experience the fullness of Christ so that we celebrate the joys of Jesus and for the very things that break the heart of Jesus those same things would break our heart. And I can tell you right now, without a doubt, that Jesus' heart breaks. That Jesus weeps and mourns. He has compassion as he looks out over the city of Jerusalem. As he looks out over the city of San Diego and looks at all of the people that he loved to death that are no longer walking Maybe even some live as enemies of the cross. Church, since my arrival here at Mission Church a little over a year ago, this very issue has been at the forefront of my own heart. For those that we know, those that we love, many who have grown up in this very church, our own children no longer walking as they ought to with the Lord no longer in close communion. And, and some maybe even going to other churches, which I think is okay. But what about if we had, if our hearts broke enough that we would weep and mourn and wail and find ourselves kneeling right down here, calling in Jesus' name for the redemption of our own. That's my prayer. That's what I believe breaks the heart of Jesus, and it breaks my heart as well, too. It's what I lose sleep over at night. And so, I find it so beautiful, serendipitous maybe, that during this month, as we emphasize prayers of protection, prayers of, of direction and prayers of revelation that we can pray for Mission Church, for the protection of our children, for the direction of this church and the revelation of what we need to do and be and how we can share the love of Christ to redeem our own children home. And so we will culminate this this time of prayer. And if you haven't been joining in yet, <laughs> it's never too late to pray. But Mission Church and the whole denomination of the Church of the Nazarene from the beginning of May till June 5th, we have committed to a, a half a million mobilization of prayer. I'm doing it daily And my invitation to you is that you join us. And there are so many opportunities that our church provides for you to pray. And to to culminate all of this in two weeks, on the day of Pentecost, when we call on the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform lives, ours included, we're going to end our service with a time of prayer and anointing for healing of bodily issues, and maybe even relationships. And if you'd like to stand in the stead of someone that you love and care for, we invite you to do that. We want to mark it on your calendar. We want you to come and be a part of it. If you need prayer, we want to pray for your protection, for God's direction in your life, and for revelation to take place because we need it, church. If we're going to be the church that God would have us to be moving forward, we need this. We need to be people of prayer. This church, we need to be... It's hard to say pray more, you know, because I know you all pray. And it's hard to say pray better, because how do you do that? But maybe what we can do is pray with broken hearts for the things that matter. That's something that I need to learn how to do better pray that we all do. And so today, Lord, to today, if you're watching online, and I'm extending this out to those who are watching online or in our extension, if you are here today and the church has, has a church, this church has ever wounded you and you've been hurt by the church before, I want you to know that our church is not perfect. Just as Paul said he wasn't perfect. I want you to know that we're trying our best to be more and more like Jesus every single day. That's the call of Paul for us here in Philippians chapter 3. We, we want you to know we have not arrived yet. We're not even close there yet. So we pray for grace. And we're praying that the same grace that we receive from Jesus, we can do a good job of extending to those who have been hurt to say the church is sorry, we love you, and our hearts are breaking that you're not with us. Because that's what Paul said. We have not already obtained all this, or yet have arrived at our goal, but we press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. And we do not consider ourselves yet having taken hold of it, but one thing we do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward for what is ahead. Let us press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward. Let's take the word here and leave the past behind. Mm -hmm. And let us turn our gaze heavenward. (laughs) Because that's what I pray we can do and keep our eyes focused in the right place. Because the next verse, Paul says, that is our citizenship. Verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven. What a great reminder. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. You see, the people in the church in Philippi, they understood this illustration beautifully. When Paul said this, they went... Ah, I get it. You know why? Because the church in Philippi, right, they lived in their culture. And we've already talked about this. Philippi was a Roman outpost. They were thoroughly Roman. They had Roman architecture. The streets were named after the streets in Rome. They ate Italian food. (laughs) They had Roman fashion everything about it was Rome because that was their citizenship. Ah. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, that's not your citizenship. Yours is in heaven. Church, your citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. So, as people of God, as Christ followers we must never forget where our allegiance lies, where our love comes from. The Apostle Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. And this Savior is a transforming Savior who will transform our lives with joy. And as we live in the Word of God with the gospel culture, And I pray that more than anything, that we will all be changed and transformed to be more and more like Jesus every day. Will you bow your heads and join me in this prayer? As the Apostle Paul followed Jesus, Lord, we want to do the same thing. And Lord, we are all on a journey. We're not there yet. so I pray that while we are on this journey, help our hearts to be united with yours so much so that the very things that bring joy to you brings joy to us. And the very things that break your heart break ours as well. Help us, Lord God, as we receive grace from you and even from others in this time where we recognize that we're not perfect. And we're asking for the grace of those that we've hurt, even those in this church right here, sitting in the, in the seats of this sanctuary who have been hurt. We ask for your grace. And as we receive that grace, may we also be purveyors of grace. As we remember this one important message that the Apostle Paul gave to us here at the end, that we're all citizens of heaven. moving forward. Help Mission Church, Lord God, to have the same heart that you do. Help us to seek that one thing, Lord God, to be more and more like you as we authentically love, humbly serve one another, and intentionally, intentionally share